Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Looking for expert advice while navigating your career journey? We've got you covered. Join Insiders. Creighton Cultivate's newly relaunched membership program where you'll get exclusive access to leading industry advice the latest trends, and a thriving community of like-minded women. Designed for go-getters and game-changers at any stage of their career journey, becoming an insider gains you access to detailed how-to guides, templates, worksheets, and on-demand videos covering all things marketing, finance, tech, business operations, and so much more. Connect with the community through a private Slack workspace and channels full of like-minded leaders, as well as inclusion and access to a member directory of your fellow insiders. As an insider, you also get one complimentary ticket to any CNC event each year, 20% off remaining events, plus fast-tracked entry in front row seating at panels, workshops, and mentor sessions. Visit createcultivate.com slash insiders for more information to become an insider today. That's createcultivate.com slash insiders. You've got big ideas and we've got the tools to bring them to life. Welcome to Work Party, the podcast where we are throwing out the rule book and bringing you real talk and hot takes on what is happening in the working world right now, because life moves fast. If we've learned anything from the past few years, it's that the only constant is change, and we can't pretend everything is status quo. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Founder Files, where I chat with inspiring entrepreneurs about their journey to building their business. We've all heard the shiny founder stories. This is not that. We talk high highs, brutal lows, and the secrets to success that got them to where they are today. Tactical, tangible, and chock full of takeaways. Let's dive in. My guest this week is Jan Livingston, an award-winning creative director turned eco-entrepreneur and co-founder and CCO of Gray Whale Gin, the fastest growing craft gin in the country. With a career background in strategic brand marketing and a creative spirit, Jan embarked on a mission to redefine the world of gin and create a brand that reflects her love for the ocean and commitment to sustainability. Jan has made some inspiring moves and career pivots, and I can't wait to soak up all of the knowledge and learn more from you along the way. So welcome, Jan. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of Grey Whale Gin. I'm I'm a gin girl myself. But let's go back to kind of the beginning, because you made a pretty major career pivot in your life. So Let's start from the beginning of you are in the creative world, you're in the ad space. Tell us about those sort of beginnings of your career journey. Yes. So I spent 20 years working in advertising at some big agencies on big brands, and it was an incredible place to grow as a creative and and learn a lot. I jumped into it as a fine arts major. 
So coming into that world as a fine arts major, I kind of you know started young and thought I knew everything. And what was great about advertising is it really taught me how to be an entrepreneur. Because when you're when you're in advertising in that fast paced world, everything is changing so fast. You have opinions of clients and creative directors and and consumers and things in culture change or, you know, the day of the shoot, maybe a celebrity doesn't show up. <laughs> so it was an incredible training ground to just think that I needed to embrace change. And in some ways that always made the idea better. So I like to say that I learned to be in beta mode where nothing is ever perfect. It is always pivoting and iterating. And in the end, you know, the idea is better for it. The product is better for it. And, and I'm better for it too. So it was an incredible um, training program for becoming an entrepreneur because that's what so much of this experience is about. Totally. And I totally agree. I, you know, my background is in agency world as well. And so many entrepreneurs I know that have gone on to start their own companies had agency training. And I think it's such a special ecosystem, to your point, to, to be a part of because you really do learn how to deal with people, communicate, work with multiple teams in the creative space, in the client services space. Like you get a lot of access to a lot of information, especially at smaller agencies. But you were at some of the largest agencies. So I would love to hear more about, you know, your career in advertising because I think for a lot of people listening, it feels like this super shiny, glossy, like, oh, wow, advertising. But like, there's so much more that goes into it. And you went on to be named one of the most creative women in advertising, which is a huge deal because it is a very male-driven, you know, madman-esque industry and things are changing every day. But what was a day in the life like for you, you know, when you were working in advertising? Yeah. When I started, you know, more than 20 years ago, 3% of the industry was female creative directors. And I remember when I started, I thought, well, well, that'll change and I'll be part of that. And sadly, I think last year they did the statistics again. It was only 9% 20 years later. So it really is sort of a, a, a bromance world that you throw yourself into. And I remember when I was young, I thought the way to combat that would be to be like a man. And I think a lot of young women go through this, even to the point of, I'll wear baggy clothes and try skateboarding through the office like my my creative counterparts were doing. Um, and I was still, you know, met met with gender bias and being passed up for roles. And, and of course, like many women in the business, moments of harassment and mm-hmm. things like that happening. And when that didn't work, I think I pushed away from that and thought, I'm going to take what people see me. They're underestimating me as actually one of my gifts. So they'll see that as a weakness. And that is my strength. Because when people underestimate you, they don't see you coming. And yeah. you've got plenty of runway to run. And, and so that's how I looked at my career. And sometimes that would mean that you had to, you know, leave a place that maybe somebody would look at and say, oh, you're so lucky to be on that piece of business or you're so lucky to work at that agency. But if, you know, it wasn't a place that the people, the culture was celebrating me and where I wasn't going to grow, then I had to move. And in a lot of those ways, I had to create my own opportunities Mm. because they weren't coming to me. Maybe people thought I wasn't ready for the challenge. I think part of that was gender bias. But then I looked beyond that and and looked for those opportunities. Getting back to day to day, what was so fun about it is that I think a lot of creatives and advertising are frustrated filmmakers. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we were inspired by TV shows and movies when we were growing up. And what was so incredible about the creative process in advertising is you start from, you know, a very simple brief and a story that you're going to tell to a consumer. And you get to own it from that moment, from the writing down the first ideas, incubating on all of that data you receive from strategists, writing the script, presenting the script to your client, your creative directors, choosing one 
And then, you know, when one gets greenlit in, in Hollywood, when you're a screenwriter and your film gets greenlit, you pass it on to a studio and a director and you really don't have any say after mm. that. But the incredible training about being a creative director, you write that script and from then you choose who's going to be the director. You choose the cast. You choose the music. You choose the editor. You go through all final finish on on the film until the day that it ships. And I couldn't have received that kind of training, you know, coming out of film school to know all those parts. And then on top of that, you learn, you know, just executive skills, too, Mm -hmm. about presenting to a client and working with a large team. So, you know, touching on wanting to be a filmmaker, I was in a traditional agency experience working on, you know, an incredible brand and and winning a lot of awards. But I felt like I wasn't growing creatively. I I was still doing 30-second spots. Um, And I started to take screenwriting courses at UCLA Extension. I wanted to do more longer form entertainment. You know, I let that be known with all the parties that I work with that I wanted to do that. And they were supportive of it. So while I had that job as a creative director, I started to write screenplays and TV shows and pitch pilots. And I had an incredible experience there where I was able to get some pilots greenlit. And I was the writer and showrunner on those pieces. But that's just an example of creating your own opportunities. It wasn't happening for me. And then from that came my last full-time gig in advertising, which was as executive creative director and head of creative at content studios at Fox. And that really mixed both those worlds together. I was doing long-form brand storytelling, bringing CMOs together, aligning them with entertainment and content at Fox, which included National Geographic, Fox Sports, FX, and Fox. And sometimes that meant creating two-hour-long documentaries that the brands would produce or two-minute short films, you know, made by Sundance filmmakers that would be bought during commercial breaks. So I think that's a great example of, you know, I think when you're met with those barriers, you'd have to create your own opportunities and write your own story. Absolutely. And I love that you went on to go take these classes to educate yourself. You knew you were stifled. You knew you wanted something different. And so you went ahead and did that. And so I think that's just a great opportunity. You can have the most successful career, be doing really well, and feel like, unfulfilled or like you want something new and like it's on you to kind of take those steps and go do that. And that's a perfect example of what you've done. So yeah, you're doing this, the, everything tracks, all the stories are adding up and <laughs> then like pivot to co-founding a gin brand. So tell us about the origin story of Greywell. So I think a lot of that goes to, you know, being a female creative again. I had young children at home. I was a mother. A part of being in marketing and in the creative world is a crazy long hours, very mm-hmm. demanding, very stressful. And I had gotten to this point where I think my 22-year-old self would have been so proud of me. And I was an executive vice president. I was being compensated well. I was flying all over the world for meetings. But I wasn't seeing my daughters very much. I was seeing mm-hmm. them at breakfast and putting them to bed at night. And that was causing me a lot of stress and guilt and thinking about what what am I going to look back on? And also health problems like happen to a lot of women too. Of course. You know, stress presents itself in cortisol in our body. And then that presents itself. Sometimes for me, it presented itself with debilitating migraines. Mm. So I was looking at that and I started to redefine what success meant to me. And I had to move it away from success meant money and it and it meant meaning. And Then at work, I was doing more pieces at work that were purpose-driven. That's where I was finding my real joy, was finding documentaries that had some sort of philanthropic effort or getting brands to align with documentaries or or philanthropies where they could do some good in the world. And, you know, that that year at Fox, we had just won a a large award at Cannes for one of those philanthropic projects. 
I came home from, from that trip and went on a camping trip with my husband and my daughters and Big Sur. We always feel really grounded outside. National parks are an important part of, of my childhood, and we've made it a part, important part of our daughter's childhood. And we are in Big Sur, California, on a cliff edge in this gorgeous camping spot. It's a famous spot called McQuay Falls. It's where there's a fresh waterfall that falls mm. into the ocean. And we're watching our daughters play. And we had one of those conversations that you only have on vacation when you're away from your job and your chores at home. And you look at your 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 husband or your friends and you say, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we talked about, you know, are, are we happy? And also, are we using our time on this planet to do something to make them proud? Looking at my daughters, am I using my my superpowers, my special skill set to do something that will be a lasting legacy for them. So it's funny that we say, you know, we're really inspired to start a spirits company for our children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's really where it started. Yeah. Um, and on that camping trip, we saw a gray whale gin and its calf on their migratory journey. And it kind of started this incredible conversation about these iconic creatures that have been making the longest known migration demand for 14 million years. And that started this story of how could we tell that story through a spirit that celebrates California, it's made from California botanicals and gives back to ocean conservation. So after that camping trip, as soon as we got Wi-Fi, we bought the URL for the company. And four months later, we sold our house and went all in on this. Amazing. It's such a great story. <laughs> Thank you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Life is complicated and sometimes you don't have all the answers, especially when it comes to building your career or running a small business. If you don't know the path forward, it helps to have a professional listening ear to guide you through the tough moments and help you achieve your goals. Thanks to BetterHelp, finding the right therapist has never been easier. As the world's largest online therapy service, BetterHelp has a network of nearly 33,000 licensed therapists ready to offer virtual guidance and support, meaning you never have to leave the comfort of your own home. The process is 100% online and designed to be convenient, flexible, affordable, and suited to your schedule. Whether you're looking for a psychologist, marriage and family therapist, clinical social worker, or professional counselor, BetterHelp will do its best to match you with the right person to help you. Get started by answering a few simple questions about yourself, and BetterHelp will do the tedious job of narrowing down a list of available therapists for you. And know that you can always switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. Once you get matched, get in touch through messaging, chat, phone, or video. Schedule live sessions when it makes sense for you, or message your therapist anytime. Through therapy, you can gain the resources and support to learn valuable coping skills, manage difficult situations, and feel empowered to be the best version of yourself. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash party today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash party. Hey friend, I'm Nicole Walters, mom of three, your internet bestie and founder of Inherit Learning Company. If you're looking for the motivation you need to pursue a life of purpose, then join me each week on the Nicole Walters podcast as I share my hard-learned lessons and answer your DMs about life, business, and everything in between. We'll laugh, we'll cry, and we'll grant ourselves grace as we do life together. Check out the Nicole Walters podcast every Tuesday here on Dear Media. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. Okay, so you, you buy the URL, you launch this brand. Did you, either of you, have any experience in the alcohol space at all? No, not at all. 
Perfect. Um, I hadn't even, <laughs> exactly. Great. So it makes so much sense. Yeah. And that's kind of the reaction we got out from a lot of friends and family. Let's right. Say, of course. Yes. Start a distillery. But I think in some ways, you know, obviously what the story of a lot of entrepreneurs is being a fish out of water is yeah. what was our our strength because we didn't know anything. There was nothing holding us back. Nothing was intimidating us. And we just felt so sure in our concept that we were going to make a spirit that celebrated the gray well. It's a migratory journey made out of California botanicals that are foraged from family farms or we forage on them ourselves. And it gives back to ocean conservation for us. And for all of my years in brand storytelling, I knew that it was a solid idea. And I knew there was a white space in the market. Right. All the biggest gins in the world. And when you think about them in your mind, they kind of tell the story of some British or Scottish old man yeah. <laughs> who has totally. a recipe and there's some sort of, you know, curious folk- folklore behind them. But we really didn't feel like there was a gin that was coming from a modern point of view that was really transparent about where the botanicals came from that was made with fresh botanicals and had a purpose-driven mission to it. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that you, and because I'm very similar, like you think about things in marketing versus yes. like the nitty gritty business. Which I think sometimes can be a good thing because like everyone always asks me like, what was the business plan, plan for Create and Cultivate? I was like, oh, there, w- there was no business plan. There was no five-year plan. I mean, I didn't even think it'd be around in five months, but I just like knew that this needed to exist. And yes. so you launch it. So sometimes I think that's the best business plan is no plan at all. And just following your gut in that way, because a lot of building a business is marketing at the end of the day and storytelling, which obviously you have that background in. But to talk a little bit about the business side of things. So you partnered with Deutsch Family Wine and Spirits as a joint venture to kind of bring this to life. So tell us a little bit, if you could tell everyone a little bit about like what a joint venture is, why you decided to partner with them and what that partnership looks like. Yes. So in that year and a half before we launched, we did a lot of research. We went to talk to other distillers up and down the West Coast. We were so lucky they were open source with us. And we met a lot of distillers who were having a really hard time because they had invested in, you know, $2 million into the space just to build the distillery. Mm. And we are hearing a lot of feedback about partners or strategic partners that approach them with different deals and and opportunities. And some of the feedback that we heard from some of the large strategics, honestly, there were some of the names that when we sat on that cliff edge, having that manifestation moment, we were like, maybe someday this company will partner with us. Some of the feedback that we heard is, you know, sometimes they can come when you're a young company and they'll gobble you up and then kind of stop you from being a competitor to some of their large brands. Yeah. So we heard that. And then the other thing that we heard is KPIs are really important to me because I come from advertising. So I would ask all of them, well, what does success look like? I need to know a number or what that looks like from a distilling space. And they said, if you have a thousand, sell a thousand cases in the first year, then you've got a unicorn. So that's what Marsh and I were focused on was selling, hustling, selling a thousand cases. We sold a thousand cases in three months. Wow. How many bottles are in a case? Or does it depend on the type? Yeah. It, well, there were six six bottles in each case okay. of ours. Okay. And we sold that in three months. And that was without any paid marketing because we were financing ourselves. It was just the, you know, the storytelling had to happen on the front of our bottle and it was having pull through on shelf. And was this through retail or direct to consumer or how did you kind of start to think about that? It was through on-premise and off-premise, which is okay. grocery stores and bars and restaurants. And and I still had my 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 corporate day job. Oh, and wow. It was really Marsh as the master distiller and head salesperson walking out and, and telling our story. Wow. When we sold a thousand cases, we knew that our whale was a unicorn. Yeah. And we knew that there was something there, but we didn't know what would happen beyond that. When we looked at other spirits brands. We knew that it took three to five years before the strategics would come calling. And that was really the only way to grow because of the way that distribution channels are set up in the spirits world. So we were waiting for those conversations. But 
what was a surprise to us is that that conversation came nine months wow. into after a bottle was on shelf. And we had no access to the the data. You know, when I was working on Samsung or Target, I was able to look at data because we the agency had paid for a membership to that data. And we were able to look at ISR data and see where we were at. But Marsh and I didn't have that for the spirits industry. So to give an example, we knew how many cases we were selling, but I didn't know how many cases that Hendrix was selling in, right, in, in California. Right, in comparison, yeah. Right. So one of those strategics flew us out to New York for a meeting. We prepared a deck to share the brand mission to where we're at and where we're at with our marketing strategy for the next 12 months. And we didn't know what to expect. We walked into the room and I've presented in a lot of boardrooms before, but obviously the stakes were high. This was my own brand. It's your own thing. Yeah, it's different. Um, and we walked into the room and there were 30 people at the table. And then there was people that were zooming in from Tokyo and London. Oh, wow. So it felt no really big. Yeah, yeah I was like, this is, and that was before there was any, you know, deal or offer on the table. So we made our presentation about the brand. Uh, and then we sat down and they made a presentation to us. And on slide four, the, the headline of the slide said, how did you capture three and a half percent of the craft gin market in California in nine months? And we didn't know we had done that. You're like, thank you. We'll add that to our slide now. <laughs> <Exactly>. Thank you. <laughs> it was the most amazing feeling because we knew that, you know, Hendrix is a Did you pretend like you knew or were you like... We pretended like we knew. I mean, under the yes, table, yeah, we're yeah, high-fiving like, oh, each yeah, other. Totally. But, you know, Hendrix is, is, a, is a monster. They have 50% yeah, of, of the category. But all of the other brands that everyone knows and loves, they kind of have 6 to 8% of the category. They're kind of equal share. And have been there. around a lot longer. Been around for 15 years. So that was incredible news to us. And then, you know, two slides later, their head of production was asking us if there was enough kombu in California to make a million cases of Argin. Oh, my God. So we just had these incredible moments that, that we had dreamed of. And we walked away from that meeting thinking we'd found our partner. Yeah. And I was going to be able to build my distillery and tasting center that I'd always dreamed of, which will be on the ocean. And there'll be an con ocean conservation center. You'll be able to make your own gin. Our botanical garden will be behind us. Incredible food and cocktails. I was, You're my mind was just like the going. menu. Yeah, totally. And then when we entered into conversations with them, it became clear that we were going to be part of a machine. Mm -hmm. And with my 25 years experience in advertising and marketing, I knew, I knew what that look like. They wanted us to just be the face of the brand. Yeah. They didn't want us to be involved anymore. They were going to put us into all their different departments, put the brand into it. And it didn't really come from an ego place. If that was the right thing to do for the brand, we would have right. said yes. But I knew that the reason we were a unicorn is because we didn't have experience in the spirits industry. And the choices that Marsh and I were making were so different than what the machine would do, that that was the success. And I felt like if we left it in their hands that it wouldn't have, you know, continued to grow. So we went, you know, back and kept hustling at home and started to have more conversations with three more strategics. And one of them was Deutsche Family Wine and Spirits. And we were so excited and, and lucky to meet them. They're also a family-owned company mm -hmm. like Marsh and I. We created the, the company to be a legacy for our daughters. And, and that's exactly what um, Bill and Peter Deutsch did as well. And in all of our conversations with them, it all came from a place of partnership and collaboration and equal power and recognizing Marsh and I's superpowers and, and what we had achieved in nine months. And then that even came to be when they presented us with their first offer, which was a joint partnership, which means 50-50, not 49, not 50, not 51. It's a 50-50 partnership. So we share in the ownership and then we also share in the duty. So I'm still 
100% involved as, as chief creative officer, Marsh Master Distiller. We're both on the road all the time as founders and spokespeople for the brand. And every piece of communication that goes out for the brand, including all of our partnership with Oceana and all of our campaigns that we're doing in Oceana as well, Marsh and I are still involved. And they've been uh, a great partner for us because of their expertise mm. in distribution globally with, with brands like Yellowtail and Josh. I mean, they're, they're thankfully able to teach us a lot about what we didn't know. Absolutely. Well, such a great story and a good lesson in that don't always take the first deal. It feels scary to walk away from something like that, I'm sure, because I'm sure it was a very attractive offer. But if you and your gut don't feel like it's right, and especially for you coming from a place where success was different for you at that point and like the the vision you had was different at that point. So I think that's a really good lesson is like, you know, kind of when you're getting that momentum and you're hearing these great things, it feels easy to say yes to a deal quickly. But I'm glad that you didn't. So getting back to the creative side of things, for anyone listening, if you haven't seen the bottle of Graywell Gin, and this is how it caught my eye. Like I I went to a Gelson's, I saw it and I grabbed it because I was like, this is beautiful. Like I am, I definitely shop by aesthetics, <laughs> especially for spirits because I don't know a lot about them. But I was like, this is beautiful. And obviously the product's amazing. But walk us through like the uniqueness of the bottle, the color, the shape, all of those things. Yes. So we wanted to take people back in a really experiential way to being on that cliff edge and the feeling that you have when you're sitting by a body of water. There's actual science behind it that your cortisol levels drop and your serotonin goes up and mm. you're more you're calmer. It's called the blue mind. And it's something that doctors have studied for 10, 20 years. And Oceana helped us with that research as well. But that's the feeling that we all have when we're on vacation and you suddenly feel calm. So we wanted people to get that feeling just from looking at the bottle. So that's where the color of the bottle comes from. The, that blue, gorgeous color is what the water looks like there mm. in Big Sur. And we wanted to stand out from the shelf. Like, as I said, we didn't have any money for any other marketing. So we needed our entire story to be told in that bottle. Another important part of the story that needed to be told was getting a feeling and a vibe from it that it was good for the world, that, it, that there was ocean conservation attached to it. Mm. So on the front of the bottle, you see the whale tail which is our inspiration for, you know, our taste, but also for our mission. And the whale tail has two meanings there. It has a really topographic feel. It feels like a map. So you get that journey that the the gray whale is going along. And also the taste journey that you're on, tasting botanicals all up and down the Pacific coastline. When a line on the back of our bottle says, enjoy the journey. Mm. And that really, you know, is double fold. It really means being in the moment and enjoying that journey, but also enjoying the journey from a taste perspective. And then they call the fluke of a whale a whale's fingerprint. So when you see that logo, you get the feeling of a fingerprint. And also on the front, we have our six botanicals that are called out. We wanted to be really transparent about those botanicals and where they're from. They're, they're very simple botanicals, but they're also what make us different. We're the only gin that's made with juniper berries from Big Sur. Mm. Most gin, 90% of gin is made with juniper berries from Italy, where even if it's a Scottish gin or, or an Irish gin. And then... As we said, what you love about marketing and storytelling is getting back to telling that story. We added kombu seaweed mm. because we're thinking, what's going to tell the story of being in the water right. with the gray well? And at the time, that was one of the first gins that was made with seaweed in it as a botanical. Now there's a lot of gins that are that are doing that. Always. It's just yeah. such a compliment. <laughs> and then on the back of the bottle, when you spin it around, you can clearly see Oceana and our partnership with 1% for the, for the planet. It's made out of organic paint and 100% recyclable cork. So all of the decisions that we're making with that, we put it all into the bottle and we were just as committed to the liquid. We had their bottle designed and we spent a year and a half 
twice as long as what we thought to come up with that recipe, which, you know, costs a lot more money to do. Yeah. But it was 152 recipes. And we're really proud of it. It's it's an award-winning gin. I'm glad that you that you love it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's I don't really drink a lot of liquor. I only drink gin. So it's yes. it really worked out for me. Yes. But I no, I'm so excited to hear about this because I love that you put so much thought into it, obviously. And like like you said, like standing out on the shelf was your number one priority. And I think that's a good lesson for anyone listening that has a product, specifically that has to go into retail or be on the back of a bar or anything like that. That is such a crucial piece of the puzzle that sometimes gets overlooked, I think. Thinking about your product standing alone is one thing, but thinking about it in the context of a shelf. I always talk about this story, but the founder of Perfect Bar, which I don't know if you're familiar, but it's like the only refrigerated protein bar. And part of that decision was because she's like, we will be on a shelf by ourselves. Like we're no longer with a thousand protein bars. We're refrigerated. So we're in a different area, which I was like, that is so genius. I would never think about that. She's like, obviously we did it for the ingredients, but we didn't realize how much of a leg up it would get us. So you weren't distracted by a million other brands. So like that thought process is so important for an entrepreneur, which I really, really love. So I want to talk a little bit about marketing. So you obviously went from like big budgets, big brands, like, you know, blowing a lot of money on advertising and marketing to, oh, we have zero dollars in the budget or like we're the ones funding it. So we need to be really, really extra cautious. What have been some of the marketing tactics that have worked for you? And what advice would you give to business owners who are self-funding their business, just starting out and like wanting to make a big impact? I think coming back to your core story, I see a lot of young brands tell too many stories in too Mm. many places. So coming back to our core story, even if it's a small event that we're doing, does the does the event align? You know, even if there's going to be influential people there, does the event align with our brand? Does it does it make sense? And is it coming from an authentic place with with all of the partnerships that we do? And I think it's just as important to remember what to say no to, mm-hmm. because sometimes that those come along those opportunities and they may be big, but they'll, they'll spread your team through too thin. Others spend your budget too thin. So we kept it really small, including staying focused on Los Angeles. You know, we had a lot of, we won a lot of awards and we had a lot of distributors that asked us to be in their states. And we met other young spirits who would brag, like we're in 48 states. Mm. And if you're in 48 states and you're only selling 5,000 cases, then that's not, you know, good, efficient use of your budget, your time, um, you know, or your your founder's time because they're traveling 48 different states. Mm. So we said no for a long time. We recognized that we were in one of the largest craft gin markets in the world, which was California and Los Angeles. And we just focused on California. And that was a really smart move because when the strategics, you know, were interested and wanted to have conversations with us, it was the data of three and a half percent of the market in California, which was enough on its own. We didn't need to grow beyond that. So we were able to stay focused with our marketing, which was really at the time, as I said, the bottle events and our organic social media. Mm. And I think another great learning that came out of that is I'd worked on all these, you know, I think the biggest budget I had for a spot once was $9 million for for one spot. And as you can imagine, there were lots of celebrities in it. Yeah. (laughs) A hundred percent of the budget. Um, So when we started the brand, of course, I wanted to do photo shoots and films. And and I I had in my mind, you know, we would have loved to have had the budget to to have models, but we didn't have budget to have models. So at the time, it was Marsh and I were the models. Get in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's the only story we had to tell. And that turned out to be such an incredible mm. benefit and gift to us because we made the founder story such a part of the story. That, yeah. that wasn't the vision when we started. 
But really seeing how excited people were about the authenticity of the mission and watching Marsh and I, you know, go through challenges and watching watching the brand grow, they were really emotionally invested mm. in what happens next with us. And now here we are, we joined a partner like Deutsch and we have some more budget for, for paid media and we are investing in paid media and we are able to do some quantitative testing. And when we tested work that had the founders and didn't have the founders, we find that our our yeah. target, who's much younger than me, is really drawn to just real people being involved with the brand. And as you can see, there's a lot of celebrity spirits brands that that are coming out. And Almost every single one these days. Yeah, yes. I was gonna. I want your opinion on that and and what you think of the evolution of that entire industry of celeb backed spirits. I think that, as always, with as we keep coming back to, if the product aligns with the celebrity's values and the celebrity, the celebrity in itself is a is a brand. If it aligns, then it makes so much sense. Like George Clooney and Casamigos, like that, you know, that made sense. All of us were nodding our heads and wanting to sit at a table with him and, and enjoy a cocktail. But now the saturation, I think consumers are getting a feeling that it's just a money grab. It feels mm. obvious. Mm-hmm. There's even celebrities that are coming out with their own liquor brands when they've spent 10 years talking about how they don't drink, drink. For, yeah. <laughs> for for health purposes. So th- we've definitely seen a pushback against that. And and that's why they're, you know, drawn to a real story. And we're seeing people mimic some parts of the brand. There's there's new gins coming out that are calling themselves coastal gins or inspired by the ocean. Um, but really we come from a place of all boats rise. That is just good news for us and for yeah. the category. It's introducing more people to gin. It's an exploding category. And thankfully, a lot of those brands are also following in our footsteps of having a purpose-driven philanthropic effort attached, which, I mean, that's huge win. That's all we wanted sitting on that cliff edge was yeah. to create some more good in the world by bringing people together around a cocktail. So yeah, I, I love that so much. And the same thing happened with Crate and Cultivate too, you know, where it was like all these little like, co- you know, conferences started popping up. And I, I had the same mentality about it. Like, yeah, sometimes it stings if you see things that like are very similar to like what you've done. But at the same time, I was always like, great. I'm glad there's more things in, in cities that we probably won't be able to go to that women can go to and feel connected and, and learn more. So I think that's a great yes. attitude to have around it because it's going to happen. It's the inevitable. Yeah. So I think it's just about embracing it in that way. So I, I think that's amazing. So Coming out of this era of direct-to-consumer brands, for you guys, obviously, retail, on-premise, off-premise was a huge piece of it. And now I think we're seeing that sway in that direction of where everyone's like, oh, no, 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 not direct-to-consumer. You got to be in retail. What are some tips for getting into retail? Like, how would a, you know, a new business owner in potentially the food and bev space, like, think about, like, how do I get on the shelves of Whole Foods, Sprouts, whatever it might be? For us, too, because of the three-tiered system, we couldn't sell direct-to-consumer, but mm. we could through companies like Reserve Bar. We can we could get it to them in some way. But for us, it was starting with the influencers and stakeholders that are that are at those grocery stores, bars, and restaurants. And we made our influential list of, of you know, who kind of sways the market. Who When when Whole Foods and Trader Joe's makes a decision, it, it, it ripples through the rest of the market. So mm. we knew who our target was. And the same in all of our target cities with influential cocktail bars and, and restaurants. We knew that we we had to appeal to them first. A lot of times that was us meeting them in person and, and telling our story, having really beautiful, authentic lead behind. And sometimes that's not, you know, a piece of paper or a PDF or or even a bottle of gin. One of our most authentic pieces that we 
our best KPIs with is our upcycled candles. And I don't know if you've gotten one of those. I brought one for you today. Yeah, oh, yes, I amazing. It's, yes. it's the bottle. Yes. It's not the bottle. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So as early part of the brand, we had a lot of friends who are bartenders right when we launched were bringing the bottles back and put, leaving them on our front steps because they were saying they're so pretty. We don't want to throw them yeah. away. And then our friend is a candle maker and made a candle that was inspired by the botanicals inside. And that has become, you know, upcycling those candles. Not only does that tell the story of our mission, once again, that 100% of those candles, when we sell them to consumers, 100% of the proceeds go back to Oceana. But that tells our story perfectly to the stakeholders in bars and restaurants. And it literally sits on their desk. And they enjoy it. And we stay top of mind. So I think that, you know, finding who are the right stakeholders who influence the rest of the industry and then finding that piece that really tells your story. And obviously, all of those people also respond to. And that three and a half percent of the market, when you, when we show them the pull through on the bottle and how fast it's moving, they just can't deny yeah, it. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> get it on our shelves. I love it. No, that's amazing. And I love that, to your point, like all of the touch points tell the same story. It's all giving the same message and it's authentic. And I think that's the biggest point. Like, I think a lot of times people will slap, you know, a philanthropic angle on something because they're like, oh, this will be good for us. Like, let's just do this. But it doesn't feel so authentic to the brand. So for someone who's starting a brand and wants that angle, you know, you had this quote that I thought was really wonderful. Being a force for good is good for business, which I think is so true, especially these days. For someone who's starting a business, how can they work in this philanthropic angle? How do, they, how do you feel like they should think about authentically aligning their brand with something? I think when you think about the Venn diagram of finding your own purpose in life, you know, people say there are three parts and one of them is what are you passionate about? What are you good at? And what does the world need from you? And I think when you think of the, your brand, you have to add to that Venn, Venn diagram, like what value are you providing the world? What does the world need? But what does the world need from an environmental or social place as well? Mm. And when you throw that on top of it, it forces you to look that all the Venn diagram forces them to cross. Mm. Because I meet with a lot of entrepreneurs who entrepreneurs who will show me their ideas and they're purpose driven, but sometimes they have nothing to do with the idea. Right. And it's and it's great that you're going to do some good in the world, but that's not an easy thing to take away for a consumer something that you learn in advertising is it's keep it simple, stupid, which people don't have a lot of time mm -hmm. and you need them to walk away and totally understand it in 15 seconds. What is this all encompassing? Not only is it providing me this product benefit, but I'm doing this in the world and those are connected in some way. So I think doing that exercise and doing that Venn diagram, sometimes when I work with those entrepreneurs, even for a 20 minute lunch, it just takes somebody else coming in to, to make some suggestions that seem very seem very obvious. Or sometimes people will choose something that's important to them because their family member had some sort of illness or something, but but they're making lip gloss. You know, yeah. It's like we have to find that connection, Yeah, which for skincare, lip gloss, it might be, it, it could be skin cancer, cancer. that yeah. could have something to do with it. So I think that putting that lens over it, you can yeah. find it. And, it. and it's, like you said, thankfully, I mean, by every measure of brand health, when a brand is doing good in the world. People are more likely to recommend it to their friends. They're more likely to stay loyal. They're more likely to buy it. And that's the way the consumer has changed. And yep. that's in the past 10 years. Yeah. So when I sometimes see pitches that don't have that attached, it doesn't make any sense to me. Especially for new brands. Yeah, yes. I totally agree. I think it's it's table stakes at this point it if is. you're launching a company. So I think yes. that's great advice. So we talked a lot about work, but let's talk about some fun and get to the party piece. So when health and fitness is your life, you know, like in a lot of ways, how do you unwind? I am lucky enough to live very close to the ocean. And my favorite thing to do is just 
find time for walks on the ocean oh. with my girlfriends. I do it at least three times a week. I on a Sunday night I put together my my schedule and send text invites and it's an incredible way to catch up, but I always feel better. I get a bit of that blue mind. We have an electric golf cart. Fun. <laughs> I can't tell you how much joy that brings me because I just, you know, drive the electric golf cart down to the beach to, to pick up my girlfriend, drive, and it, it puts you immediately into a vacation state. So I, I want to be your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> pick me up in your golf cart. That yes. sounds amazing. When I can start the day with that. Yeah. And then a couple times a week also, infrared blanket. I'm really into infrared. My <laughs> friend Mamrie is obsessed and she does it all the time and sends me photos in it. So that's, I mean, that's a good one as well. I love that. Yes. Obviously, what's your gin cocktail of choice? My gin cocktail of choice is, we call it the whale hello there. Cute. Really simple. It tastes like summer in a glass. It's lemon juice, lime juice, agave, and gin shaken. Easy. It's like a skinny margarita, but just mm, with gin. Love. And then also Monday through Thursday, my cocktail of choice is um, Optimus, which is a non-alcoholic spirit. Mm. It's so good. And I feel like I'm having my my cocktail moment, but I'm able to, you know, stay together and not be dehydrated or feel anything the next morning. So um, that's kind of my Monday through Thursday and then, you know, the rest of the weekend, it's, it's variations on great. I well. got to get on the mocktail train because I yes. feel like sometimes I'm like, you know, it's like one cocktail, three cocktails, five. You're like, how did I get here? It's Tuesday. And then I'll send you some Optimist. Oh, yeah, I would love um, it. That and then I amazing. would say also, if you are, if you want to order a fancy cocktail, a fancy gin cocktail, next time you're at a bar, order a Clover Club. Ooh, if you've that? ever had that. It's a really old cocktail created in the 20s. But it has raspberry syrup, egg white, lemon juice, mm -hmm. and gin. It's just super simple. I love a good shaken egg white. On Same. Top of a Me fancy too. It's cocktail. like I'm obviously not doing that myself. So that sounds great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like leave it to the experts. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing all the wisdom with us. Can you tell everyone where they can follow you and learn more about Greywell? Yes. You can follow me on Instagram at, at Jan Livingston and on Instagram for Greywell, Greywell Gin, and GreywellGin.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Party. If you like what you heard, follow, leave a review, rate the pod, or slide into my DMs. Check out our membership program, Insiders, designed for go-getters and game changers like you. Sign up today at CreateCultivate.com. Follow us at Work Party and at Jacqueline R. Johnson on all platforms. And be sure to head to CreateCultivate.com to keep up with all the latest events, content, and community designed to help you level up your life and career. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.